0: You're listening to Ocean Currents, a podcast brought to you by NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary. This show was originally broadcast on KWMR in Point Reyes Station, California. Thanks for listening. And welcome to another edition of Ocean Currents. I'm your host, Jennifer Stock. Ocean Currents is part of the West Marin Matters series, where every Monday at one you can tune in to listen to a show about our environment, and Ocean Currents is always the first Monday of every month. On this show, we talk with scientists, educators, explorers, policymakers, ocean enthusiasts, adventurers, advocates, students and teachers, and more, all uncovering and learning about the mysterious and vital part of our planet, the Blue Ocean. I bring this show to West Marin Monthly. And I work with NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, one of four National Marine Sanctuaries in California, all working to protect unique and biologically diverse ecosystems. Here we are in May. We're rolling out of Earth Day celebrations and getting ready for World Oceans Day coming up in June. And schools are starting to wind down wind up the school year, wind down the school year, and for Ocean Shore School in Pacifica, California, they're getting ready for Oceans Week, where the entire school grades kindergarten through eighth, get ready for an in-depth week of study all about the ocean. And they've been preparing for this all year for this coming week in May with projects and assignments and special events focusing on the ocean. At one event during the year, students had the opportunity to submit one question they had about the ocean. And I volunteered to track down an expert to answer it. And I had over 100 questions submitted from the students, and each one of them so fantastic, spanning a wide range of topics. But unfortunately, I did have to select only some to cover it in one hour show and get all the answers to them. So today, you are guaranteed to learn something new about the ocean through the voices of students. And you're going to hear about 55 questions and answers about the ocean spanning a wide range of topics, including why fish don't blink. Why sharks have to keep swimming, or do they? Changes related to our changing ocean and climate, who owns the ocean, and so much more. Guaranteed to learn something new, sit back, relax, enjoy the show. One thing that was particularly interesting was that some of these questions were really challenging to answer. And while talking with the marine scientists to get the answers, I heard this a lot.
1: Wow, that's a
2: good
3: question then. Wow. That is a great question. That's a good question. Well, that's a great question.
0: That's kind of cool. Wow,
3: that's a great question.
1: Wow, that's a good question then.
0: So a lot, a lot of great questions. A lot of these experts were somewhat stumped in some of these questions, so it's a lot of fun to track down the meat of the answers. So let's get started and hear about our experts and the questions. Thanks for tuning in to Ocean Currents today.
3: My name is George Matsumoto. I am the Senior Education and Research Specialist at the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute, which means I get to do things like study jellies and talk to people.
4: My name is Sarah Allen. I work with the National Park Service in the Pacific West Region in the Coast and Oceans Program.
2: Hi, my name is Scott Anderson. I've been studying sharks out here off the California coast for 25 years, and mainly white sharks uh, at the Farallon Islands and Tamales Point.
5: My name is Dan Howard, and I am the superintendent at Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, which is a marine protected area that is west of Point Reyes, California.
6: Well, my name is Tierney Tees and I've been studying the ocean for many years. I'm a marine biologist, a National Geographic explorer, filmmaker, and ocean conservationist.
7: My name is Ben Becker. I'm a marine biologist at Point Reyes National Seashore.
8: Well, my name is Bob Van Syck, and I'm an invertebrate zoology research fellow at the California Academy of Sciences in San Francisco.
7: My name
9: is Chris Pinsedich, and I work at the nonprofit Turtle
1: Island Restoration Network. My name's Jay Nichols, and I'm a marine biologist, and I've spent the last twenty years or so studying sea turtles and the human ocean neurological connection.
0: I'm Jennifer Stock. I'm the education and outreach coordinator for Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary. I've been learning about and teaching people of all different ages about the ocean for over 15 years.
10: question is does the weather affect the ocean
6: yes and yes it's a silent but amazingly powerful dialogue that goes on between the sky and the sea if you live in an area where you get lots of fog well that's when the the land heats up and and when it hits cold air from the ocean that creates fog a warmer planet is a windier planet and wind can cause incredible things to happen in the ocean by pushing water offshore and causing something called upwelling. So there's this dynamic conversation between the sky and the sea and they both affect each other.
10: My name is Elizabeth and my question is, what are some things that the ocean can control? Is water the most powerful thing on the planet?
1: The ocean is involved in our, our climate and our weather, uh, it is involved in what our coastline looks like. It moves sand and rocks around. I wouldn't quite say it controls the coast or it controls the weather, but it definitely influences it.
10: Hi, my name is Annie, and my question is, why is the ocean so salty?
3: That is a great question. The ocean is salty mostly because of all the minerals that are coming out of the rocks that the ocean is surrounded with.
10: Hi, my name is Avery, and my question is, what would happen to the ocean if there was no moon?
5: We wouldn't have the tides that we have now, the low tide and the high tide, um, because the moon wouldn't be there to pull on the oceans. Um, And then another thing is that some of the rockfish will feed at night during full moons, and so they wouldn't have that light to feed by if there was no full moon for them. So lots of things in the ocean would be very very different without the moon.
10: My name is Riley and my question is why is the ocean different colors in different areas?
5: Well first of all the ocean's different colors because there's different material in the ocean so that you might see the ocean near the mouth of a river would be a little bit brown or or greenish brown because of all the sediments that are washing out of the river. In different places offshore, it could be darker green because of all the phytoplankton that's in the water. But other places, because the the ocean um, absorbs different wavelengths of light, different wavelengths of color get absorbed by the ocean, and oftentimes blue is the only wavelength that is left. So sometimes in, in more tropical places, the ocean might look bluer. So all different kinds of things can control the the color of the ocean.
10: My name is Mia, and my question is, when was the ocean created?
6: Well, the ocean is upwards of 4 billion years old, if not a little bit older. We know that life emerged in the ocean about 3.7 billion years. So it took a little while for the ocean to be hospitable to life. So probably about 4 billion years old.
10: My name is Tori, and my question is, have scientists actually been to the deepest place in the ocean? If not, how are we sure how deep it really is?
5: Yes, there's been a few people that have made it to the deepest part of the ocean, which is the Marianas Trench, which is about 36,000 feet deep. So the Marianas Trench is deeper than Mount Everest is tall, which Mount Everest is about 26,000 feet tall. So they have been down there, but before they got there, they knew how deep it was because scientists know how fast sound travels in the water. And so they can introduce sound in the water and then measure how long it takes for that sound to come back to their instruments, like an echo.
10: My name is Nina, and my question is, how much does the ocean rise because of global warming?
6: Well, right now the average rate, I think, is about 3.3 millimeters, but that rate is increasing. How fast that rate will increase depends on a, a bunch of different things, including how warm we make the planet, because warmer water expands, and also how much of the ice melts, let's say, off of Greenland, as well as Antarctic areas. How do earthquakes affect the ocean?
5: The most obvious impact um, on the ocean from earthquakes is creation of a tsunami or a tidal wave because when we have those um, continental plates shift underneath the ocean, it creates a not a necessarily a big wave but an extremely powerful wave that when it hits the coast um, can do a lot of damage if there's coastal sediments near um, low-lying areas, so a good example of that was the tsunami that hit Japan a couple of years ago and all the damage that did to the coastal areas.
10: When a tsunami happens, why does all the water go really back first?
4: When a tsunami happens, it's a wave that's generated from across the ocean. And that wave gets larger as it moves across the ocean, as it builds up. Uh, and when it starts getting to shore, then it, it starts hitting the continental shelf, and it, it pushes it even further up so you have water drawn back to make a larger wave. And so that drawback is what you're experiencing before the wave comes in in a rush. Oh, so that water actually becomes part of the wave. It is part of the wave. Interesting.
10: My name is Isabel, and my question is, how much has the ocean changed over the years? And have animals and habitats been affected by global warming?
4: We haven't been studying all creatures in the ocean, but many of the ones that we do have already shown some sort of effect. Uh, Not all, but some of them. An example would be uh, animals that like warm water um, are benefiting from these changes. Bottlenose dolphins are occurring uh, more north along the coast of California because Uh, they like warmer water. That's one benefit. Humboldt squid? Humboldt squid. So more sperm whales are north feeding on Humboldt squid. Other species may not benefit, such as corals, um, or, say, cold water species of stellar sea lions, uh, cold water fish. There are all sorts of species that would benefit and not.
10: Why does sea glass become so smooth?
4: Sea glass is
5: polished by the ocean, so if you had a piece of glass that was um, right by the shoreline, every time the wave came in and out, it will tumble that little piece of glass and polish it more and more. So it's kind of unfortunate, but there was a time when people used to throw their trash in the ocean, And a lot of that glass, after years and years of getting tumbled back and forth, back and forth in the waves, um, gets polished so that now um, it turns into a nice little piece of sea glass.
0: Nice little find.
5: Yeah.
10: My name is Sophia, and my question is, why do beaches have different color sand?
0: Beaches have different color sands based on the types of rock that those sands actually originated from. There are many, many different types of rock all over the planet and some of them are black some of them are brown some of them are red and eventually over time rocks erode and become smaller and smaller and tumble and weather with rain and with colliding between each other and especially on the beaches they erode quickly because the ocean waves tumble the rocks around to become smaller and smaller grains of sand so the different colors of sand are based on the types of rock that the sand actually came from fun thing to go to different beaches around the world and see the different t- colors of sand and realize how diverse our geology is on our planet.
10: My name is Zachary and my question is, is there more life in the sea or on land?
1: There is way, 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 way more life in the sea than on land, period. There's more life in... One In one little drop of water, there's millions of organisms. Um, so just imagine how much life there is in the whole ocean.
10: My name is Ruthie, and my question is, why does the ocean foam up when it touches the shore?
3: The ocean foams up because there's lots of things in the water that you wouldn't get in something like drinking water. So there are things like sugars and slime from other animals, and when it hits the shore, it's sort of getting stirred up and it gets a little bit of extra oxygen in there, and it makes the bubbles that you like to see at the ocean.
0: I've also heard it's um, phytoplankton and, you know, different types of plankton.
3: Well, the phytoplankton, uh, the diatoms and dinoflagellates also produce slime, and that helps make the foam. Uh, But it's mostly things that are discarded, sugars and slime and mucus, and it all gets mixed in with the air because the ocean, the water is hitting the beach and getting stirred up.
10: Can crabs ride waves?
7: Baby crabs can ride waves. The main way that most marine crabs disperse and and kind of get around the ocean when they're babies is they're really tiny and they become plankton and they float around on the waves and the currents and then eventually once they get big enough they'll stop riding the waves and they'll settle down on the bottom and make a home there until they have more babies to go out and ride the waves to find a new home.
1: I've seen crabs ride turtles Uh, I've seen crabs ride whales. I've never seen them ride waves but I imagine they probably can
10: my name is Talia and my question is how do animals that live on the bottom of the ocean find their food?
0: Animals that live on the bottom of the ocean have different adaptations for for surviving overall. They're adapted to surviving under great tremendous pressure, having all of that water on top of them. Um, there's not a lot of light down there, very little to none. and. So they really have to have different adaptations for finding their food. Some animals have a really good sense of smell and can just smell their way around. Deep sea corals that live on the bottom of the seafloor in the darkness, they have an interesting strategy in that they put their polyps out to catch any detrital material that's that's floating by detrital material meaning anything that's drifted down from above like plankton or um, other uh, materials that might be floating by and they just use these little polyps which are kind of like little hands and stick out and grab it and and bring it in um, other animals um, might use light to attract prey or to find a mate that's called bioluminescence and so there's all sorts of different strategies for animals in the deep sea to find food
10: which animals in the ocean eat seaweed?
7: Well, algae is all over, especially the coastal ocean, and um, it's full of carbohydrates. So pretty much any species that is interested in getting some carbohydrates easily will um, eat it. But of course you have to be adapted to eat it. So lots of things like snails in the intertidal, um, even some birds will eat it. Um, some marine, ma- some mammals will eat seaweed. Um, one... Really um, well-known animal that likes to eat seaweed are sea urchins that like to eat giant kelp, which is just a form of seaweed. And these sea urchins can mow down huge tracts of kelp, uh, just like a lawnmower, by um, by eating up the algae. People eat seaweed too.
6: My name is Padma, and my question is: What kind of seaweed goes into ice cream and diet soda?
9: Several seaweeds that go into The commercial products that use the uh, gelatin extract from seaweed. So um, it's different depending on where it's harvested. So it could be the giant kelp, it could be other species in other countries.
10: My name is Andy. My question is why do
6: fish.
9: Well, fish school for a number of reasons, mostly for protection. Um, their safety in numbers. They know that uh, their large mass swirling through the ocean can often be confusing to predators. Um, it's really daunting to for them to figure out, how do I get just one? And the movements of the collective mass can often confuse them. So they mostly school for um, their own protection.
10: Do clams have faces?
8: Well, they do have sensory organs that could, I suppose, be part of a face, like they have things like eyes, which can uh, act as photosensory organs, and they can sense uh, chemicals in the water, so that would be like our nose, and of course they do eat, and they have a mouth, so if you put all those things together, I suppose they might have a face.
10: My name is Keaton, and my question is, why are octopuses so smart?
8: Well, that's a great question. They've evolved rather large brains. And um, perhaps one of the reasons they've done that is because they're very, very visual. They've got the most uh, evolved eye of any animal without a backbone. And uh, so using that big uh, eye requires a large optic nerve, and it requires a big brain to process all the data that's coming in from, from the images that those eyes collect. So that's probably why. They're also relatively social. They'll school, and, and any social activity, like schooling, requires uh, a bigger brain to, to pull that off. Uh, they actually do really kind of interesting things with their, their skin. They can change color. They can, they can glow. They can change the texture. Of, of their body. And so uh, being able to process all the data of what their environment looks like helps them match their environment uh, with the texture
3: of their skin and also the colors.
10: How big is a giant squid?
3: How big is a giant squid? Well, if you want to know how long a giant squid is, they're probably about 25 to 30 feet long. They're not the biggest squid anymore because now we have the colossal squid, which gets somewhere between 45 and 60 feet long. So I don't know what's going to happen when we find the next big squid because we already have the jumbo squid, the giant squid, and now the colossal squid. So somebody's going to have to come up with a bigger name.
10: How do squids produce ink?
3: Squids produce ink. Uh, Most, they get the color for the ink from their diet, so whatever they're eating. And they pull it all together, and they put it into a special place called the ink sac, and that's where it gets squirted out from.
10: My name is Simone, and my question is, if jellyfish have no brains, then how can they survive?
8: Well, they're very successful at what they do. They have a very simple nervous system that's more like the nervous system kind of in our stomachs. So they're able to do simple things, uh, like they can, they can move their belt, bell to swim around a little bit, and uh, they can uh, contract their bell to move and uh, swim and float, and feed. So they're able to do all those things really without a, having a complex brain or a lot of complex behavior. They generally just float along with the currents. And as long as they can reproduce and make more jellies and eat they're
3: going to be successful
10: why do anemones not hurt clownfish
3: why do anemones not hurt clownfish that is a very good question it's one we get a lot the clownfish like to hide out inside the anemone and they get protection by the anemone from predators the clownfish are not hurt by the anemones because they cover themselves up with some anemone slime so the anemone thinks that it's just another part of itself
10: My name is Matthew, and I'm wondering, how does a one-pound fish survive 100,000 pounds of water on its body?
7: Everything on the earth has pressure on its body. Right now, we're talking about at sea level. So we've got about 14 pounds of pressure on every square inch of our body. And the reason we're able to deal with that, it doesn't feel like we're pushing or being pushed on, is the pressure inside our body is the same. So it's like it's pushing out and in. At the, same, at the same strength. So as you go underwater, as long as the pressure on the inside and the outside of your body or the inside and outside of your cell are at the same level, there's no real stress on your system. The uh, problem is when you dive really fast or you go up really fast or if you go up to the top of a mountain really fast, the pressure is the same on the inside and the outside and your ears pop if you're just climbing a mountain. But if you are down in the bottom of the ocean, your eyes will bulge out and the gas in your bloodstream will bubble up
10: what do sharks eat
2: sharks eat all kinds of other animals so they're a predator depending on the shark Uh, like a white shark feeds on seals when they get older and fish when they're little the whale shark actually which is uh, thought to be a plankton feeder feeds on small fish and things like that and krill which are small shrimp
1: like animals
10: How many different breeds of sea turtles are there?
1: There are seven species of sea turtle in the world.
9: Two of the species, the Kemp's Ridley and the flatback sea turtle, are only found in small areas of the world. So the Kemp's Ridley is found only in the Gulf of Mexico and on the east coast of the United States. And the flatback sea turtle is found only in Australia in the East Indian Ocean. And other five species are found around the world.
1: And scientists like to break the species down into populations, sometimes subspecies. But that gets a little complicated. The scientists don't always agree on, on those those designations.
9: The Leatherback is the official marine reptile of the state of California, and this coming October 15th is gonna be the first official Pacific Leatherback Conservation Day in California. So we're excited
2: to celebrate that.
10: My name is Kalen. My Catherine is what a socky sock. Shark.
2: Well, that's a good question. You bet. Um, A shark would eat a shark, especially a large shark would eat a small shark if given the opportunity. Uh, It depends on the situation, but um, yeah, there's no reason to discriminate against sharks eating sharks or sharks eating fish or birds or mammals. Uh, They eat what they can when they can.
0: Do some sharks, is there some threat of some sharks eating baby sharks when they're in the utero?
2: Okay, so there is a thing that some sharks do called inner uh, uteral cannibalism where the young sharks are born or actually are growing up inside the mother and the larger ones will start consuming the smaller ones actually it sounds like a horror story but it's true and digesting them and then being able to get larger themselves so it's a way of reducing down a litter of eight down to maybe two. Sharks eat all kinds of other animals, so they're a predator, depending on the shark. Uh, like a white shark feeds on seals when they get older and fish when they're little. The whale shark, actually, which is uh, thought to be a plankton feeder, feeds on small fish and things like that, and krill, which are small shrimp-like animals.
0: Listening to KWMR at ninety point five Point Ray Station and eighty nine point nine Bolinas. You're also tuned to Ocean Currents. And for those of you tuning in, you're hearing assortment of questions with expert answers. And these questions come from students at Ocean Shore School in Pacifica, California. They're getting ready for Oceans Week where they really do an in-depth study about the ocean and the parents and teachers and students have been working very hard. So here is an assortment of some of the questions and the answers.
10: And my question is, why do some animals in the sea not have bones?
8: Well, as a matter of fact, most animals in the sea don't have bones. And it's because they evolved a long time ago in many different types of animals. They didn't have a a backbone. And so most animals, in fact, on Earth, about 98% of them, don't have bones. They don't have backbones. They don't have any bones. So the organisms that do have backbones and bones... Uh, create a skeleton inside their body and they're able to get much larger on land and move around on land because they've got a much lighter skeleton that can carry all the weight. In the water, animals can get much larger and they don't have to have um, skeletons that can carry all their weight.
10: My name is Aaron and my question is what, uh, what happens if different species of fish mate?
8: Well,
9: for the most part, fish of two different species cannot intermix. Um, at the molecular level, the cells will not combine to make a new organism. Some species of fish are closely related and can hybridize. So it's kind of like what you see with your pets with a dog. You can have uh, two dogs breed together and create a new dog that looks like a little bit like both of them. But primarily, um, that does not occur and you only have the interactions with the same species creating more of that species due to the specific genetic and chemical um, receptors and cues that must combine for successful reproduction.
10: My name is Henry and my question is which fish in the ocean are transgender?
7: We call transgender when we're for biology and for animals we typically typically call them hermaphrodites and one interesting fish that's a hermaphrodite is the anemone fish and these fish live near anemones and the anemones only have a few fish that can live within them so one reason that you might be a hermaphrodite is because it might be really hard to find another animal or another fish of the same of the opposite sex to breed with so if you're a hermaphrodite you're kind of increasing your chances of finding somebody out there that you can mate with. So often fish that are in pretty low densities, there's not a lot of them around, you might want to be a hermaphrodite so that you increase your chances of finding somebody you can mate with. The anemone fish in particular, um, only three or four or five fish can live inside the anemone And that means that there's not a lot of other fish around. There's really just a population of maybe four fish. And they're what's called sequential hermaphrodites. They start out as young males. And then as they get older, they become females. So the little guys are the males in the anemone, and they can have babies with the older females. And then when the older females die and pass away... The males can become bigger, become females, and then some smaller males move in so they can have this nice little family, and that's an advantage of being a hermaphrodite. Wow. The sheephead off of California is also a hermaphrodite.
0: They're more in the kelp forests down south, southern California.
7: And um, one reason that those fish may be hermaphrodites is that um, larger fish typically are able to have a lot more babies. So it might be an advantage to be a female when you're larger, When you're older, to have a lot of babies might be an advantage to be a male when you're younger because there's no reason to be large and you can still fertilize a lot of eggs.
10: My name is Evelyn, and my question is, why do the waves glow at night sometimes?
8: Well, the waves glow because there are tiny organisms in them that are emitting light. Isn't that amazing? tiny organisms that can make their own light. And they make it by mixing two chemicals that they make in their bodies. They have these chemicals in their body. And when they're moved around in the water, they're disturbed, the two chemicals come together and they emit light. They glow. So you're able to see them when the waves crash. It mixes all these small organisms in the water and it creates the light from these two chemicals inside the bodies of these small organisms and it creates light. Well, they're tiny, tiny plants uh, that they're actually kind of a, uh, almost plant animal because they're able to move around. They've got a flagellum. It's a little uh, whip-like uh, tail that they're able to uh, flick back and forth and move around. Dinoflagellates. But they photosynthesize these energy from the sun to uh, uh, create food for themselves, simple starches, through photosynthesis. And uh, they're, they're, in turn, eaten by many other organisms in the sea. So they form the basis of the complex food web that supports all of life.
7: There's lots of organisms in the world that glow and have bioluminescence, and most of them are doing it either to deter predators or to attract mates um, or sometimes to help find food and attract food.
10: Can dolphins understand human language?
4: Some dolphin species do appear to understand the human language, particularly those that are brought into captivity and are trained. So if you go to an aquarium and you see dolphins performing, they obviously understand human language. Uh, But uh, dolphins in the wild have um, developed relationships uh, with individuals or people. This has been documented in Hawaii, uh, where uh, there seems to be some sort of communication going on between the two species.
10: My name's Emily and my question is do whales have a hole to put water up?
0: Well all whales do have a blowhole and the blowhole is actually like our nose like our nostrils to breathe air in as well as to exhale air out. The whales happen to have this on top of their head because that's how they evolved in the ocean to surface and have it closest to the surface have it closest to the air to exchange the air. Now, sometimes when we see a whale come to the surface we do see an exhalation of air a big spout almost it looks like water but it's really air and water mixed and basically it's just that little bit of water that's sitting on top of the whale right around that little pocket where the blowhole is and when they force the air out of that blowhole a big spray comes out and it sort of looks like a spout of water but it's really a spray of air mixed with water
10: What is the longest living ocean fish?
8: Well, there's some evidence that uh, there are fish that we know live to over 100 years old. Some of the uh, big rockfish that have been caught up in Alaska and even along California's coast, we know that they're over 100 years old. Now, there are many other fish that uh, get much older. There's uh, evidence that some small freshwater fish like uh, koi that live in, in small ponds and fresh water, those can be over 100 years old as well, some of them. Um, and, there, and there are many other fish that we don't know how long they live. It's a mystery. They live in the deep sea, environments that are very difficult for us to get to. and We just don't know much about them. So there may be fish that live even longer than 100 or 200 years old.
6: My name is Bella and my question is, do fish sleep? Sleeping can be defined technically. When we sleep, we go through different periods of sleep, deep sleep and light sleep. And fish have periods when they rest. For instance, during the night, parrotfish will create this sleeping bag of mucus, and they will essentially rest in that during the night. Now, whether it's technically sleep or not, it's resting. Um, So it's equivalent to the way we sleep. Why don't fish blink?
9: Well, some fish do blink. They have clear, transparent eyelids that you just can't see. Um, Not every species of fish does this. And one of the things that makes fish biology so fascinating and one of my favorite subjects is because there's so many different kinds of fish, so many different adaptations in all of those fish for them to behave just a little bit differently and for them to occupy the many, many different areas of the ocean.
10: My name is Laith, and my question is, is there an animal in the ocean that doesn't poop?
7: You know, anything that's alive needs to get rid of waste products, whether, you know, whether you're getting rid of carbon dioxide when you breathe, or whether your kidneys are taking the byproducts out of your body and excreting them. So all the animals in the ocean are pretty much the same way. Sometimes the really tiny ones those waste products will dissolve out of their bodies if they're a single-celled organism, or they'll have a special mechanism for excreting those little, um, those waste molecules out of their body. Um, but it's still all doing the same thing.
0: You make poop sound really scientific. <laughs> it is. My name's Ma-
10: Maggie, and I want to know, do sharks have live babies, eggs, or both?
2: Well that's a good question in that um, they have three different ways of having young. One is live birth, the other is they lay an egg case and the shark hatches out of that. And the third is where they have an egg case inside the mother, it hatches out inside the mother and then it's born alive. So um, good question, pretty much covered it all.
0: Can you give us a couple examples of each of those?
2: Yeah, um, so a good example of, of, of live birth would be the white shark it has seven to nine young that are about 50 pounds and five feet long when they're born. Um, and then uh, sharks such as horn sharks are born in an egg case and actually the egg case is laid on the bottom and then they hatch out of that.
0: And how about the one where they have eggs that hatch out inside?
2: A good example of a shark that hatches inside its mother and then is born alive is the whale shark. Until recently, no one knew how whale sharks were born, but they had found an egg case with a a small whale shark in it, and so it was thought that they were born in an egg case. But actually, they caught a large female that was full of young, and they had already hatched out of the egg case and were ready to go. And there was over 300 of them.
0: Wow. Yeah,
2: so it's a large amount of young babies. They're very small, though, when they're born. Less than a foot.
0: Here's an advanced question. Mm -hmm. So, with these three different strategies for reproduction, Mm -hmm. is that an evolutionary benefit towards long-term survival?
2: Uh, Yeah. Anytime your uh, offspring can be larger and more capable of survival, you're going to have a greater survival rate. The only problem with shark uh, fecundity... (laughs) is that they um that's reproductive success yeah (laughs) the only problem with sharks reproductive success is is that they have few young so in times of uh, depletion it's slow to recover and come out of that but in times of you know standard feeding and stuff like that where the population is stable um, that is a better mode of reproduction because the young have a better chance of survival
10: My name is Lillian and my question is why do sharks die if they stop swimming?
2: Ah, Well, um, actually not all sharks do. Um, There's a group of sharks that are oceanic and they swim out in the middle of the ocean and there are no barriers there, up, down, left or right. You can go any direction and not run into anything. Those animals are always on the move and they always have to swim forward and therefore they always are moving and, and breathing while they move forward. The other sharks that are known to be in coral reefs and places where they can be on the bottom um, or sit on the bottom, like angel sharks, they can breathe without um, moving forward. So it depends on the species. But the ones that do live in the open ocean, if they stop swimming, they won't be able to get oxygen through their gills.
10: My name is Joshua and my question is, What does it feel like seeing a shark?
2: Well, um, the way I see them, it feels really good because I'm not in the water with them, uh, being afraid that I might be attacked. But yeah, uh, as long as I'm in a safe place, I love viewing sharks. They're beautiful animals. I like to watch the way they swim, and if they're feeding or whatever, I like to watch that too. But um, if I'm in the water and vulnerable and it's a big shark, I might be uh, scared to see it.
10: Do sharks have a good memory?
2: Well now that's a good question because I don't know that it's been tested that much but from my experience with what I've seen with the white sharks is is, yeah they have a good memory good enough to uh, not only survive in the ocean which is a dangerous place but um, when we tag them if they come close to the boat and and we are able to tag them then the next time they come around they don't come that close so cause and effect is pretty clear with white sharks that if you uh, discourage them from something they can learn to stay away. So, yeah, with white sharks it's clear, and I think you could do a feeding test where you introduce a scent or an object every time you feed them and they would habituate quickly.
5: When did the Great Pacific Garbage Patch start? The Great Pacific Garbage Patch has always been there, but it hasn't always had garbage in it because it's a gyre that tends to concentrate the, the, the plastics that are there. But plastics Styrofoam was first created in 1954, so plastics really have been around for only 50 to 60 years. So, um, and the plastics are continuing to c- accumulate in the in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, but they've been um, collecting there for I'd say about 50 years.
0: Can birds breathe underwater?
5: Only for a
7: couple seconds.
0: Can they breathe, no, or no, no. they're holding their breath? No. Oh.
5: So,
7: So, no, birds, just like marine mammals, they hold their breath underwater. They need to breathe air. They don't have any any mechanism for extracting oxygen from water.
10: Why do people insist on making oil rigs?
9: People insist on making oil rigs because they haven't transitioned to other forms of energy and transportation that require less oil unfortunately. And there's a bigger problem that the oil companies that own those oil rigs have a lot of political power now um, that they can contribute endlessly to politicians. So um, it's up to the citizens and every one of us to share our love for the ocean and if we're concerned about offshore oil to share that with our elected representatives.
10: My name is Florence and my question is, is there a cure for coral bleaching?
9: Coral bleaching is when a normal healthy coral community um, full of photosynthetic microorganisms is then well poisoned basically and it no longer has color in it and it becomes white. Um, Now the causes of coral bleaching are not completely um, across the board always the same. So sometimes the cures are different. But yeah, we can bring back coral reefs that have suffered coral bleaching through good water quality management and sustaining a healthy ocean.
10: Who owns the ocean?
1: Everybody.
9: We all do. We all own the ocean.
1: And I guess nobody owns the oceans. It belongs to all of us um, to take care of while we're around. And we are all responsible for stewardship of the ocean. We all
4: benefit from it, whether we'd like to look out at it from the shoreline or whether we fish or swim in it or breathe. We all benefit, and we're all responsible stewards for it.
10: If people mess things up in the ocean, won't they have
6: to fix it up?
4: You'd think, yes, maybe we should.
6: It is true. We have done a lot of things to the ocean.
1: Yep, we have a lot of things to fix. We've made a kind of a mess, and we've broken a lot of things in the ocean and on land. And
4: There's a tipping point, and there's not a lot of agreement among scientists about what a tipping point is or where, th- where it might occur, or even if it does occur. Um, but at some point, we may not be able to reverse the uh, direction of what's happening. So we really need to stop messing it up.
6: But I think we can work together to fix the problems. We can figure out ways to give the ocean a rest. And the ocean can rebuild if we give it a rest. But we need to work together to make that happen.
10: Hello, my name is Mateo, and what can, my question is, what can we do to save ocean animals?
7: Uh, the best way to save ocean animals is to um, use and live near the ocean responsibly. Don't take too much sea life out of the ocean. Don't put too much pollution into the ocean. Um, you know, Those are probably the main things. There are things that you can do beyond that to try and restore animals and plants that have been too degraded, um, but but the biggest general rule is try not to mess things up too much.
4: The other thing you can do is let people know how they can also help the ocean in restoring and buying things that are, affect the oceans less, drive efficient cars. Yeah.
1: There are so many things we can do for ocean animals. I think learning about them is one good thing. Go see them. Do that responsibly and carefully and politely. But go and actually see the animals Uh, on their terms
2: comes down to you know personal preference what you do with garbage and marine debris throwing things in the ocean throwing things away correctly recycling and then just you know being aware of what's out in the ocean and then you know sharing that with your friends and if things aren't going well if things are declining then share that and if everybody knows what's going on there's enough people out there to turn things around so it's mainly about uh, people understanding what's out there
0: been listening to Ocean Currents, and you've been listening to students' and experts' answers, students' questions and answers from the experts about the ocean. These were questions from students at Ocean Shore School in Pacifica and experts from all around the Bay Area, marine biologists and marine scientists giving their two cents about some of these wonderful deep questions about the ocean and the critters inside it. And I hope you listened and heard something new that you did not know. There's something for everyone. I wanted to thank specifically the students, teachers and parents and the faculty at Ocean Shore School. This is a lot of work and especially my sister, Julie Stock, for Recording all the students' questions, which was awesome. But also, I would love to thank the experts who gave all their time for the answers George Matsumoto from the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute, Sarah Allen from the National Park Service, Scott Anderson, local shark researcher in West Marin, Dan Howard from Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, Tierney Tees, the National Geographic Explorer and Marine Conservationists, Ben Becker from Point Reyes National Seashore, Bob Van Syke from the Cal Academy of Sciences, Chris Pincenich from Turtle Island Restoration Network, and Jay Nichols, turtle biologist and ocean conservation leader. Great group of people, it was super fun to put it together and I hope you enjoyed it. I do have two more minutes and I wanna share two announcements with you. Um, We have a photo exhibit in the Point Reyes Library right now of highlighting some of the most beautiful pictures of Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, things that live above the water. In the water and on the seafloor, some of the most beautiful images that we have. And the exhibit will be up till probably late June, maybe even early July. And you're welcome to come in anytime the library is open to see these images. And we'll be having a special reception and celebration of World Oceans Day for that on June 6th, um, 6 to 8 p.m. And you'll hear more information about that next month or potentially here on KWMR. And also at the end of the month, May 28th, there is a really interesting panel on the ship strike issue, meaning ship strikes with whales, and this is being put on by the American Cetacean Society San Francisco Bay Chapter, on May 28th at 7 p.m. at the Bay Model Visitor Center, and you can get more information about it at the web on the web at www.acs or dash ACS-SFbay.org, a panel of all the people that have been working on this issue across organizations, agencies, as well as industry in terms of how do we reduce the impact to whales from the large ships that come inside the San Francisco Bay and outside the San Francisco Bay, where we have one of the largest congregations of marine mammals, endangered species at that mostly. So take a look at that May 28th. That about wraps up the show today for Ocean Currents. Thanks for tuning in. Ocean Currents is the first Monday of every month, and I have a podcast online at cordellbank.noaa.gov. You can go there to get past episodes or go into iTunes to subscribe to that. And I'd love to hear from you. Listeners, comments, questions, ideas for future topics, please email me, jennifer.stock, S-T-O-C-K, at N-O-A-A Thanks for tuning in today. And up next will be Rick Clark with Using the 50s. Thank you for listening to Ocean Currents. This show is brought to you by NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary on West Marin Community Radio, KWMR. Views expressed by guests on this program may or may not be that of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and are meant to be educational in nature. To learn more about Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, go to cordellbank.noaa.gov.